Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Luke Wyatt. We'll talk mostly baseball, so let's get right into our interview with Luke. Luke Wyatt joins us. It's Wednesday morning. We've switched things up a little bit here at the podcast. We usually have Luke on Mondays. Uh, We've got some ideas of the things we want to do potentially. Uh, Luke comes on and talks baseball with me, but we've got a a couple things potentially cooking uh, for some broader shows. And and for that reason, for the time being, I've moved Chip to Mondays and, and Luke to Wednesdays. I don't know if that lasts beyond this week or... Or if we switch things back to you to Mondays or what. But just that is a way of letting the audience know because I had some people ask why wasn't Luke on Monday. That was the plan was maybe to pull you to Wednesday and and talk baseball but also some broader topics. Whereas Chip and I usually just talk baseball. So with that, Luke, appreciate your flexibility and I appreciate you joining us today. Not a problem. I always enjoy talking Vanderbilt athletics and uh, it doesn't matter which day of the week. Uh, I'll be glad to talk about it. and. Uh, Got another win last night, so uh, we're probably. I I think Chris, we're probably. If we go, what we got left? Let's see. We're thirty three and uh, eleven. Got eleven games left. I think if we go six and five, uh, we'll be hosted all the way to Omaha. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I'm looking up. Boyd's World does an RPI needs report that is usually very helpful in terms of saying, well, if you want to get a, a top eight RPI, then you need to win X amount of games and X need to come on the road and X need to come on at home. And and, and it usually it's just a number of wins totally, but sometimes it's, it's a win difference based on where they are. But I'm rambling because I'm trying to find this. I don't think he's updated this recently, but – I can maybe do some guesswork here based on what he's got. Let's see. He says Vanderbilt needs eight home wins and seven road wins. Or he's got eight home games and seven road games. That's not true. Uh, I believe it is now four home games and seven road games. So if I take what he's done, subtract out what's happened since, and presume nothing has changed, I can make a pretty good guess at where Vanderbilt's RPI is going to stand. Okay, um, Vanderbilt's already secured a top 32 RPI, and I think it needed five home wins, and it got four since then. So I think Vanderbilt needs one more home win to get a top 16 RPI. Um, to get a top eight RPI secured based on the regular season, it said four home wins, four road wins was one possibility. Well, four, four home wins have already come. So win four on the road from here on out or just win seven at home, period, which Arkansas is coming up. That's a possibility in between five home wins, three road wins, six home wins, one road win. So Vanderbilt basically needs to win about eight games to be sure it is in the top Eight of the RPI from when this was last updated, what's well, already taken care of four. So four is kind of your magic number of wins to get a top top eight RPI. Now, having said that, 
uh, if it's three midweek wins, or I guess what, just two more midweek games. So yeah, I guess if it's if it's two and two, they may be in some trouble. But if you just want a, a guide as to what that number looks like, there you go. Yeah, I think you're correct there. Now, one of the midweek wins will be against I think Louisville's out of the top twenty five, but I know they have a strong strong RPI. So if you beat Louisville, that that is a feather in your cap. The MTSU game is another another story, but if if uh, if Louisville's one of those wins, that's almost as helpful as the conference game, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think just for optics, conference record matters. Right. Uh, and it's one of those things that, l- let's just say everything went really, really poorly. And they decide, well, the SEC's only going to get four national seeds. And say like Vandy ends up at 17 and 13. And, you know, you got four other teams above them in the standings. Then that's where I could see it going poorly. I'm just trying to cover all my bases here. And by the right. way, my apologies. That was. That was long-winded podcasting earlier. I could have made that much simple, but the, the the bottom line is, you know, win win five or six more games, however they come, and I think they're in great shape to host, and and probably going to be hard pressed not to host all the way to Omaha. Right. I I was very encouraged by last night. I tell you why. Um, Jack Anderson's emerging as a guy who can give you an inning. I know he didn't. He wasn't um, great last night. I can see his stuff being able to get you three outs. And that's good to have a guy like that that you could bring in, say, in the sixth inning or for starters, pitch count's really high and you need to get through the fifth or something like that. And that's just another, you know, with him and Grayson Moore, who looked really good when his when he came back, if you can get an inning or two or three batters out of those guys, adding to the rest of the staff getting back, uh, that's, that's a great sign. I was thinking this morning, and I don't know if this is what he was thinking or not, but – we sit here and we go, well, they've got Holton back, they've got Owen back, and we tend to lock that in. Well, right. nothing stays stationary, especially in baseball and particularly with pitchers. I mean, it might. They, they've had a pretty decent track record with pitching health compared to most programs. But just I was thinking for argument's sake, last night they give Carter four-plus innings. I, I didn't get to watch it really other than an inning or two. I had a school thing for my daughter and then – then Oreo needed to walk when I got home. So mostly what I did was following on Stat Tracker and listening a little bit on the, the radio or, or the, the app on the phone. And in any case, they stretched Carter out last night. It, it, it went decently well for four innings. The fifth, it looked like he lost his control, walked and hit a couple of guys. Anderson came in and had some hiccups, but ended up pitching well enough to to keep them a few runs ahead. You saw Anderson pitch that high leverage situation against Kentucky, I think, to everybody's surprise. But people are going, why did they need to do that? They had Maldonado. They had Ryan Ginther maybe available more. That might be a situation where, I mean, first of all, you never know where a guy in a spot against particular batters with the style he's got. In other words, does he throw a slider that gives righties trouble or or whatever you want to pick out of your bag of tricks there is kind of a one-off situation. That is an option maybe. There's, there's something in the matchup with him and certain hitters that's problematic for the guy in the other batter's box. The other thing is, let's say something happens with Holton Rowan. Then you're right. not going to cover this unless it's Riley, and I think Patrick Riley could be the answer. Uh, but then even if it is, then you, you need to move other guys down into the role that he would vacate as kind of your long guy, you know, when when it goes bad for, for Carter Holton like it did against Carolina or a role like that where you're bringing him in as a piggyback guy when you're 
when your guy falters. Well, if you take Riley out of that role and bring him into a starting role, then somebody's got to do what Patrick did. So point is, when, when you bump everybody down the line as roles are changed, there's a scenario in which they need a couple more arms if somebody gets hurt or whatever. And I think that stretching Anderson out in those things, I don't know if that was the thinking behind what they did, but that is just a, a theory I've got. Well, you know, last night, and I, of course I saw every pitch, Anderson struck out the side and then struck out the leadoff better in the next inning. So he struck out four of the, his first four outs were all by strikeouts. And his, uh, you know, his, what he does, and, and Corbs talks about this all the time, he loves older guys. And I know Jack has not pitched in high leverage situations much, but he is an older guy. And that's, I think that's where, what Corbs' thinking is. Yeah. You know, do I rather, rather have him out there for an inning or rather have Horn or J.D. Thompson? So I think Jack's kind of won that battle, and uh, he, that's what Corbs is looking for, is someone just to get him to an, a tough spot, maybe an inning or two or three batters. And I, I, it, all it does is just add more depth. The other thing with pitching, I think, Chris, is with, when Dukanich does get back, which it's been forever, so you don't know how he's going to pitch, but when he gets back, if he can get some innings in and, and, and Omaha, or excuse me, in Hoover, and where he can help as well, then you've got – a depth of 13 or 14 pitchers that you can come out there and, and, and at least get to give you an inning. I think I like their pitching situation heading into the postseason. Boring, nothing disastrous happens better than anybody in the league. Yeah, now I will say this. I think Tennessee's bullpen that depth, That might be my exception is Tennessee because Tennessee is starting have, to figure some things out. Yeah. They have good bullpen depth as much as it pains me to give them credit for anything. They do have good bullpen depth. I still think their starters are ordinary at this point. Uh, Beam's been better last week, of course, against Mississippi State. But uh, Dolander has pitched. I mean, he's just been an average guy or below average guy. Uh, and then you got a kid who, how you know how the, the Lindsay kid, how will he react in postseason when the lights get brighter? You know, you again, you take them out of their ballpark, they're a totally different team. And I think you'll see that this week in Athens. Yeah, I would push back on ordinary. I think their rotation's really good. I think what has happened again is is offense is so the conditions in baseball, whether it's the bats, the balls, whatever, and we've talked about this just about every week, have put it to where you look at the numbers and they don't look good. Pitchers look shaky, but then you start comparing it to everybody else. Um, and what looks shaky compared to what we used to expect two and three years ago now looks good. I think Tennessee's pitching is really good, starting and bullpen. Yeah, I, 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 I'm, I, if I'm a Tennessee fan, I'd be more excited about the bullpen, but I see what yeah. you're saying. No, no, I'm, well, and, and I think them moving Burns to the bullpen was a great move because it yeah. accentuates what he does well, yes. Yes, he does, yeah. I agree with that. Okay, back to Vandy. I think, was it three or four long balls last night? Four. Four solos. Four. Okay. And Georgia State hit a couple, too, I believe. Yeah, they have a really good lineup. Georgia State can hit. Their uh, their pitching depth was not good. Um, most of their guys they brought in had ERAs in the six or sevens. But their, their hitting lineup, they can, yeah, they can mash. You know, they just come off. They won four in a row, and they'd beaten Georgia last week, so in the midweek. Beat them seven to five, so they're a legitimate. That's a good win for Vanderbilt, actually. 
By the way, Vandy moved up from five to six, or excuse me, from six to five in the RPI by virtue of Arkansas losing to Lipscomb last night. Yeah, and congratulations to Lipscomb. That's a that's a big win for them to go into. Did you see he pitched a couple innings and pitched well? Ethan Smith. Yeah, he did. Good for him. Yeah, good for him. I hope that I hope that has a better ending. That that could have gone so many different ways for him at Vandy. Oh, it, you know that kid's been through a lot in the last year. Or so it's it, at Tennessee. I don't think he pitched, but maybe an inning up there the whole year he was there. Yeah. So that work out. Um, you know, Chris, you. Had some, I want to talk about something if you don't mind. You and Chip talked about on your podcast that uh, you mentioned about moving Maldonado to the two or whatever. I, I was kind of a poke move poke to two, and then I heard. Coach Corbin was on a radio station here in town and mentioned that he liked Diaz in the two-hole, even though his average wasn't as good as Polk's because of his patience. So that was his, his brought up on the radio yesterday, and that was his answer to that. So uh, Because I said Polk to, to the two-hole and moved Diaz to eight. Yeah, one thing that I appreciate more about Tim from covering him as long as I did, I was a stats and analytics guy long before that became in vogue. And so I didn't like some of the bunting and things they did. And I I would still push back against some of those. But there are just so many things in baseball that are hard to quantify. One of them is using pitches, right? And and I think Diaz does that. He'll foul some balls off. I think the lefty-righty thing is something – that's hard to quantify because if, if you're going to go to a lefty specialist, if you've got lefties stacked, then the guy maybe pitches to several batters. Whereas if you're alternating left, right, left, maybe he gets one guy. If the, the right-hander behind him is really good. I think that bunting and things like that, it puts a pressure on a defense that's hard to quantify. And I think all the formulas and things were done at the major league level where they field substantially better. And certainly – third base defense is highly variable at the college level, whereas at the major league level, you're not going to put a butcher out there at third for very long. So I do think that the things that Tim does now that sort of defy the analytics, I'm not saying he always makes the right choice, but there's a lot more things that I understand after watching it day to day for 20 years and and knowing how he thinks that maybe I didn't 10 or 12 years ago. Yes. You know, I, my concerns right now, uh, Chris, is uh, I was hoping last night we were able to get Laneve, McKenzie, J.D. Rogers, some of those guys, a couple at bat. We're in a situation right now where our depth is, a, you know, if, if anyone's wanting to know my concerns with this team, it would be that. If we get an injury or two, we have, you know, like Laneve's only got eight at bats and we don't have anybody right now that's proven off the bench except for Calvin Hewitt. And then of course, whoever doesn't start at catcher. So I'm a little concerned with that because at some point you're going to need those guys. And, uh, I just wish last night the game would have been uh, a big enough of a blowout where those guys could have gotten the game. But, uh, to Georgia state's credit, they kept it close, but we couldn't really do that. If you're going to bring a guy out of the deep freeze in a situation like that, I suspect it's J.D. Rogers based on the stuff that I found out preseason. They think he's a kid that can 
defensively be good enough to play center field. He's a good hitter. He's he's strong. You think he's won their Omaha Challenge a couple times. My guess, if there's an impact bat that's been sort of a non-factor all year that emerges in a situation like that, that it's him. I mean, it also, Leneve is maybe a better bet depending on where it is, but I think Rodgers gives him some things defensively that, that maybe Leneve does not. Right, that's for sure. I um, And, you know, the Arias kid is basically just a defensive specialist. Uh, so, you, you, I mean, I don't know where else you turn. I don't think you can. None of the – None of the freshmen, I guess they're all redshirting. Kadali and Holbrooks and uh, Matt Wolf. I assume they're all just redshirting. And the catcher, Poteet. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, that, that has to be. You know, and it's going to be interesting. They're going to be in that same situation where they're probably going to have a lot of high draftable kids are going to be tough to get to campus. If you want to watch something. This someone had posted this on our board. I've not really checked into it, but I think Corbin had mentioned something about maybe Nolan coming back for another year next year, which would really be a big wow. boost for them. Uh, and and yeah. Bolger, Bolger's another one where I don't know that Bolger is going to be the draftable guy we thought he would have been a few years ago. I mean, you could see a you know, a dominant Keegan situation or something like that where he comes back for another year and, and spends another year behind the plate. Now, if they do that next year, in addition to the pitching they've got coming back, I mean, I, I don't want to – used to be able to say this with more certainty. Now with the portal, you never know. LSU will just go – and Tennessee will just go get whole new teams the way they hit the portal right. maybe. But I would think that they would be a – if you want to look way ahead for next year – they would be a strong bet to be a preseason number one at this point, I would think, especially if those two things happen. I think so. The one thing that would concern me if Jack comes back is would Espinal transfer. Yeah, that's, he, that's, that's fair. It. I mean, you might you might see well, – and I, I guess they're covered at catcher either way, right? Well, you have – and then I think they got one other coming in in the next class. But, you know, I, I – Interesting. Where I think moving forward, you may see two and two, Espinal catching two games the midweek and game three, and Bulger catching games one and two. Yeah. What did you make of Espinal getting the second straight start yesterday? Well, I, I don't think Bulger's hurt. He may be, and we don't know that. I don't think anyone's asked that question to Corbs. Uh, and it could be just the fact that you know how he responded under pressure the other day with the big double. Uh, well, what would have been a double? The game-winning walk-off. And, uh, you know, he's starting to hit – he's starting to foul off. I shouldn't say hit. He's starting to foul off pitches that he can't hit, some breaking balls that he's always had trouble with. He's starting to not swing and miss on those as much. He's fouling them away until they finally throw him a fastball and he's taking advantage of it. Um, and I just think – and he's such a energetic kid. He seems to be a very team – so much a team favorite. Um, brings a lot of energy. I, I, and defensively, uh, he's better than Jack. You raise a really good point, and I think we talked about it the other day, Chip and I did, but that lasted bad because what has been giving him fits, I think at times, has been breaking stuff and all-speed stuff and things out of the zone. And they brought in a kid who I don't know what Ryder Giles tops out at, maybe 82, 83, but it was it was breaking ball 68, 69, 70. And it was just one after another, and it was – change locations and throw him off the plate and see if he'll chase. And he, he he didn't chase the ones that he 
I think Kentucky was hoping he should chase and, and shouldn't have chased, but that's what young raw hitters do sometimes is chase stuff like that. And he did sure. get his bat on and foul off a few things, and then then he finally did hit after seeing the velo enough times. He did hit 70 to center hard uh, to walk it off. Yeah. So maybe Tim Corbin is seeing it exactly the way that you just explained it. Yeah, I think so. Um, and that's exciting because you can still, you know, Jack, Jack's an enigma. You know, at times, Jack, you think, wow, here he is. Because sometimes he can barrel up balls. And I will say this, he's probably hit in tougher luck than anybody else on this team. He, he'll, he'll go through a, a stint where he'll barrel up balls and get an 0 for 4 two or three times. And then he, but then he'll get a bloop <laughs> that falls in, which that's just baseball, I understand. But it, it seems like Jack has more of his share of that than anybody on this team. Yeah, let's see. Yesterday you had – they did move Maldonado up to the five, which I like. They did move Austin up to clean up, which I'd floated that the other day. I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. I just threw some things out at random, and the lineup looked a lot more like – what Chip and I talked about on Monday, on on Wednesday, or excuse me, on Tuesday. Well, I think what Corbs and Baxter does is they listen to your podcast and then say, "Well, Chris oh, has to do this, so sure. we'll do it." I, I think that's exactly <laughs> how it goes. I mean, I've you know I've done so well for myself in this space here um, <laughs> that I, I just get asked for my advice all the time. So. Oh, it's getting deep in here. Oh, let's see what else stands out of the box score. Um, Espinal again got two hits. Nolan got two hits. Yeah, and hit the ball well. His home run was over the bleachers. He killed. They it. only walked twice yesterday. That's odd. Yeah. Well, um, I was. We only struck out five times. I I like that. Yeah. Uh, I think Vasquez struck out two or three times. He is the only one that really struggled at the plate. He did get a hit, but yeah, did strike out a couple times. Um, but yeah, you had to really nitpick to find anything wrong with last night now the first three innings it was sleepwalking we didn't get a hit till the fourth inning and then we go three straight home runs yeah strikeouts were the thing that everybody really griped about the last few years but they strike out let's see as you said five times yesterday they struck out what nine times on sunday they struck out six times on Saturday. They struck out four times on Friday. That's man, in this day and age of baseball, that's not a lot. No, that's great. I'll take that the rest of the year. Um, you know, one quick thing back this just crossed my mind about pitching. The horn kid came in last night and he gave up a home run. His fastball was straight as a string, but his breaking ball is nasty. If he can get to where he can locate that fastball better, he can really help you because I mean, his break ball, his breaking ball breaks a ton on righties and lefties. I don't. It, it may have just been coincidence, two or three rich left-handers, but they were perfect pitches. I mean, I, you could stand up there with a a boat over and not hit those things. Yeah, Horn was a guy that I think got some preseason pub. I think D1 had him as listed as like one of the, the 50 impact freshmen in the league. And I think, you know, he's, what was the injury with him? Oh, it was an appendix thing, wasn't it? Yeah. He had to have his appendix removed. Yeah. yeah. So that'll, that'll keep you out. That's, that's keeping that's our, our star shortstop on my son's team out for a couple of weeks. So. All right. Not good. No, it's uh, not. Horn. Again, Horn's fastball last night. And I don't guess you got to see any of it. 
it was just straight as a string, Chris. It had no movement. Uh, and, and, and that's, and I think it's a four seamer that's got to change for him to be successful because you know, as well as I do, good hitters are going to just wait on it and pound it. Yeah. Here's another thing. That's two straight scoreless outings for Laboki. Now just one inning at a time, which is kind of interesting. His last three outings have been one inning at a time. They've all been scoreless. Trying to think, I believe in Knoxville he pitched multiple innings. I'm flipping through box scores here. Yeah, he pitched three and a third, gave up four, and that was in that disaster, uh, the 17 to one game. Yeah. Uh, before that, let's see. The last time he pitched would have been when he pitched two innings against well, South Carolina, gave up seven. Did he not pitch and in game one? No, he didn't pitch against Kentucky. No, well, he pitched twice against Kentucky, I believe. Let me let me double check. Why do I mean? He must not. We're talking about Laboki, right? Yeah, Sam Laboki. Yes. Yeah, he pitched. He pitched an inning on Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry, I've got the dates mixed up here. He pitched an inning on Saturday. Okay, he only, I guess he only pitched once against Kentucky. He must have thrown the midweek game. But anyway, I, what, what I'm getting at, there's a method to this. I'm wondering if they've maybe now decided that he is better one inning at a time rather than maybe once or twice through the lineup kind of, of role. I, maybe that's just I, the way it panned out, but that's, I, that's what I was looking for. And that's what I'm saying, Chris. I think you look at Laboki, Anderson, and Grayson Moore – to get you uh, an inning each. Think about that. You get those three innings covered with those guys, then you've got Ginther and Maldonado on the back end. That means your starter only has to give you five. Right, right. I mean, they're if, if they just stay healthy. Yep. We've talked about they, that. That's they the can they can win the whole thing. They really can. Yeah, and 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 you know, the other thing is that, you know, we're power throughout the lineup and and i'm not patting myself on the back but i mentioned when we first talked before the season started and we were concerned about power and i said well shrek would maybe hit 15 or so but you've got a lot of guys a lot of guys that are going to hit between eight and ten and that's what's happened we've got a bunch of guys hitting four five six seven home runs so that's the good thing about our lineup you can put it in a hat shuffle it up reach in grab a lineup and anybody can bite you. A lot of teams don't have that. The bottom three in a lot of orders just don't hurt you much on most days. But our lineup, any of the guys one through nine can really hurt you at any time. Okay, this is a sidebar, and I have not watched them a lot. I just kind of follow the scores and the stats, and I've looked at the stat sheet a few times this season. I think Wake Forest is the best team in the country, man. They've I've got seen them play once. Yeah. The middle of their order, they got guys. Nick Kurtz has hit 14 home runs. Justin Johnson's hit 11. Brock Wilkin has hit 20. Those guys have walked 39, 20, and 43 times. They have got, my goodness, their whole lineup almost has walked more than it struck out. Yeah, they're impressive. That's, that's a, they got a kid coming off the bench that's hit nine home runs. They've hit 83 home runs. They, you never see this. They have walked 300 times. They've struck out 323. Now, look, the schedule they played has not been the one Vandy or LSU have played, but the ACC is pretty good. 
and this is where yeah, I think they're really they're really scary. They're okay. They're they're guys in their their rotation. Rhett Lauder has started eleven games, sixty-eight and two-thirds innings, one eighty-three ERA. Josh Hartle sixty-two innings, two eighteen. Sean Sullivan fifty innings, two fifty ERA. That's their that's their starting three guys. Nobody in the country's got that. Oh, and by the way, they got a swing guy who's thrown forty-three and two-thirds innings, struck out fifty-six, walked nine, and has a point two ERA. Now is that and, and then they and then they got and then they got about another four guys in the bullpen are they're good. Three have been great, and one of them's been fine. Now, they go about eight deep, and it looks like it, it hits a cliff there potentially. They got a couple other guys, but I'm telling you, that is your team to watch. I know and there's a lot of talk about the SEC and a lot of – LSU's been number one all year, but I, I'm thinking as great as the SEC is, the best team uh, may be Wake Forest. Uh, I, I tend to agree with you. I really do. And like I said, I haven't seen them play live but once. I watched one full game against, I think it was Clemson, and, and they look great. They do. They, they look solid. And if you look at their stats, in fact, the reason why I knew about the home runs that you were just speaking of is the team we played last night was just ahead of them. They had, I think Georgia State has hit 92 home runs. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think that maybe – Maybe get the the two or three seed in this thing, and in that way you're you're probably paired. I don't know if it, it depends on whether Wake gets the one seed or not. I, I think I wouldn't mind being paired with LSU on that side of the bracket and and letting maybe someone else try to knock out Wake. You know, rather Chris, than you be I on have, their half of the Omaha. Yeah, I have a question for you. You know this better than me. Uh, in basketball postseason tournaments conference tournaments don't mean much we've seen that in baseball what does does it matter much there as well i think it matters where you're trying to clarify something in terms of who gets in i've seen a lot of years where there was an sec team on the bubble and especially when you get those tuesday games where you got two teams that are you know, 13 and 17 or 14 and 16 or something like that. I think if you're looking for a tie break to to put a team in or leave a team out a lot of times, I think they mean something. Maybe is it pertains to moving an, a national seed a spot or two if a team wins a tournament, maybe they move up a, a seed line or two, but I don't think it means a lot. I think that most of it's going to be settled before you go to to the tournaments. And, and I've said this before. I, I think that this year, to me, if you're Vanderbilt, I just don't think that you need boring something bad happening between now and, and a couple of weeks when they start this thing, or I guess three weeks. I just don't see a, a big run in Hoover being something that they're probably going to need and, and maybe not something that's beneficial either. Yeah, I think Hoover, we use a uh... – like what I talked about, getting those other guys some at bats. Yep. And and then using these uh, bullpen guys, starting a Grayson Carter maybe. Now now Tim still will probably go with uh, the starting rotation the first three games you play at Hoover. But after that, you know, get these other guys some, some innings. Shall we do the mailbag? I'd love to. All right, let me find it. <laughs> That'd be good. You, you would think I would have Did this Oreo ready. Did Oreo eat the mailbag? <laughs> no, not not yet. That, 
I think I got a haircut yesterday. He needed it. He's been a handful. Of, I'm surprised we haven't heard the the howling that everybody's accustomed to hearing. That, yeah. that happened all morning. For some reason, it has not happened during the podcast. <laughs> but it's not over. Okay. Here's the mailbag. It is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number, 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Okay, B3 Vandy. Interesting that Jack Anderson has stepped up and won the last two games for Vandy. What other pitchers does Vandy have that may step up their game and really surprise us in the upcoming weeks? I think we hit most of that, but I will give you a shot if we miss something. Well, I, 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 of course, Anderson, Grayson Moore being back is key. And then if you can get to Canich at some point, I know maybe even if it's not until Hoover, they can come in, then I think that would be great to add three arms to get you possibly through two or three innings. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Go Doors 94. What are the team's greatest weaknesses? Can they improve in these areas this season? Well, bullpen health or, or pitching health, let me just say that. That's, it's not a weakness, but it's a concern. And then my biggest concern I just mentioned earlier in the, in the podcast is depth off the bench. I know a lot of teams don't have depth. I understand that. But ours is concerning because of the limited at-bats they've had. Yeah, I would say that and maybe just not having quite the home run prowess that some of these other teams have. Um, you know, I don't worry about get, that, Chris, and I tell you why. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I mean, the the, the parks will change that, but – Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But, I mean, you, you saw that bite Kentucky a little bit this weekend. It did, but the way they play anyway, you know, they're going to give anybody problems in any park, I think. Because they're going to, yeah. if you've got a weak defensive team, they're going to make you catch it. They're going to put it in play. They're going to move runners. They're going to distract you with their base running. They are – I agree with Corbs, and you could tell by his tone, he was really worried about that series. Because yeah. Kentucky can, make, can turn you around and make you go south in a hurry if, you don't, if you're not on your P's and Q's, so to speak. I guess it's because they're Kentucky. I think if you put a different uniform on that and make a Mississippi State or whatever, people view that team differently. I, I think, I, and again, I've watched them all year, followed them. I think that they got some some issues. I don't think they have dominant pitching, but they got they've got that Mississippi State style staff. Although they don't have the the top two guys like a Sims and a Bednor, but they got a lot of guys that can give you innings. 
to get yeah. you through a tournament. And I think where some other teams, it's going to drop off a cliff after five, six arms. Kentucky is a team that can maybe go a dozen and still be okay. And again, with style of play and everything, that was a that was a good series win. Now they're brutal. Their remaining schedule is brutal. I saw that. Yeah, but um, I, I wouldn't wouldn't bury them yet. No, I think they're going to win. Uh, I think they'll win at least three of their last nine games, maybe four. Okay, door fan six. What have you heard about the new renovations for the Hawk? Basically, what everybody else seen. Uh, you know, I, I'm excited about the cover that's going to go over the stands. Personally, because I I like that. I would like that where I sit. Uh, but. I, I, Seating capacity, I'm not sure if it's ever come out what that's going to wind up looking like. I would think in the 4,500 range. I mean, if you're adding 800 seats, seats 3,700 with 300 standing room only. So I figure you're looking at 4,500. I don't think we need any more than that. Uh, I think that's fine. Um, but I'm excited about it. I think, it looks, I think it's going to be fantastic. You know, I know people will say, well, why do you need more seats when you don't sell your building out as it is? They have made it a premium product where tickets are not cheap and a lot of ticket holders just hold tickets and sit on them and they live out of town or live somewhere else. And so you've got, I think, several hundred tickets that are off limits. You know what I'd like to see them do? I would like to see them do something like they did in basketball a few years ago. You remember where David Williams knocked the tickets down to 100 bucks a ticket and, and people started coming in droves? Right. I would like to see them do that in, in baseball, make them outfield seats, make them maybe at the ends of the of the, the second deck down the lines or something, and let the people that want to buy those tickets and have them as a status symbol for I get to sit by an home plate or whatever and, and give money to the baseball program. Let them do that. But start making room to let the common fan in again. And I yeah. think that might do wonder. You know, we've talked about ad nauseum about how their their crowd is I mean, golf crowd sometimes makes it look <laughs> you know, less tame than it is. I mean, it's just we we've had this discussion well, you know for years. Well, let me say, I always describe our Vanderbilt baseball crowd as Dodger Stadium because they yeah. come late and they leave early. Yep. And that's that's a problem. But also, Chris, if you go back and look at old video of when we started turning this thing around big time in 2006, 2007, that place was rabid. Yes, it was. Because it was I remember. It, it was new. It's new. It's like what Tennessee, because they're finally winning in baseball, their crowds have been like a couple of years. And if you continue to win for 20 years, people sit back and expect, okay, well, what are we going to win by today? They kind of get that key and crumpet feel to them of, well, I'm yeah. here at the game. I'll just lightly clap because I know we're going to win. It's just by how much. And we become spoiled. And I'll be honest with you, everybody, I, I think that's just human nature to become, you know, you know, you, you remember, you're a Braves fan. You remember the Braves. Oh, yes. When they won so many years, the crowds were not great there at yeah. the end of those Bobby Cox runs. And that's why people get complacent with winning as well as they do with losing. You take away the whistlers, you take away Murray Harris. The only noise that crowd makes is to gripe at the home plate umpire. Well, now, wait a minute. You got Schmidt over there with his uh, Shrek mask on. 
<laughs> is that Schmidt? I thought that was the other Whistler. Oh, it may be. I don't know. I thought it was Mike Schmidt. I'm sorry. Well, it's it's hard to make noise with a mask on your head. So, <laughs> you know, I I, and it's I wish funny. we could give both Whistlers a Shrek mask. That that would solve a lot of things. <laughs> you know, and I will say this: I think Vanderbilt's the the fans that are there. And I'm not talking about the corporate empty seats and that type of thing, but the the 2,000 or so that really show up are very knowledge have become have become very knowledgeable about baseball, which was something yeah. I didn't think I'd ever see at Vanderbilt. But they they are. That's the correct. People that sit around me are, are very knowledgeable about baseball, and I, I I enjoy that. Okay, boy, here is here's a couple of million dollar questions on the way out here. This these could take a while potentially, depending on how much we decide to answer or not answer. And I could could lean could very much lean two different ways on that. J two M will better facilities matter as much in the age of NIL and entitlement culture. Spoiler alert: Luke and I have been sort of talking for a few days about cooking up a state of the athletics programs kind of thing hitting on facilities, but also really hitting on NIL, because I think that is the, well, I, I don't know. I don't know that the, the hidden iceberg does it justice. I think that most people or a lot of people are starting to realize this is a big problem for them. But anyway, I'll, I'll let you take that where you want to take it. We well, are talking about having, we are potentially thinking about getting together a podcast with, me, you, a football player, a baseball player, and a basketball player to hit this from all angles and where I'll probably be the MC more than anything. But in terms of just hitting all these topics all at once from different angles, that has been something you and I have been discussing. It'll just be a matter of getting the right people and, and getting them all together at the right time. But you're welcome to give a Cliff Notes answer between now and then. Well, you know, it's not just Vanderbilt. And let me say, obviously, this is a Vanderbilt podcast. But my concern is for the Vanderbilts, the Wake Forest, uh, the academies. And I'm talking about in all sports, not just football or basketball. I'm talking about everything. If if this continues down the road it is on, and basically it's just highest bidder and that's it, and the only other way you can do things and get it correct is by culture, then everybody that's not a state school – or not, or ha- and has that doesn't have a big alumni base is going to shell out tons of money to bring in recruits, or bring in the athletes. They're going. It's going to be a problem for a lot of teams, and you're going to see a lot of people just throw up their hands and say, "Look, we're not doing this." Now, the strange thing for Vanderbilt is this is right when they just spent the three hundred million dollars. Okay, so it's obvious we're not thinking in terms of uh, going the other direction. It's that we're moving forward. Now, does that mean we're moving forward to have a nicer facilities for visiting teams? Or does that mean we're going to do everything else there is? And I go back to the same thing I've been saying, and I've gotten some criticism for it. I lived through a bunch of athletic directors and a bunch of personnel in the athletic department. The most important thing isn't even in that building. The most important thing is Chancellor Deermeyer, just like it was with Gordon Gee. Those are the two that cared, genuinely cared about athletics. And that's where we're at right now. So it's critical, critical that Chancellor Deermeyer stays the course with what he's doing. 
because he'll have answers for all this. He's going to have to, because I think that's one of his things. As much as academia hates to hear this, one of Chancellor Dearmeyer's, he was, he was in shock. I can tell you this. He was in shock how poor our basketball football programs were when he got here. Evidently, he had been told that it was in better shape than it was. So once he got here, no. saw that, and then saw the facility. Yeah. <laughs> but once he no. got here and saw the facility, <laughs> saw the situation, he realized he had to roll up his sleeves as well. And I, uh, you know, that's something that I'm sitting on directly on a fence on right now. I'm meeting with someone next week who were na- re- remain nameless, uh, who was a former player at Vanderbilt. And we're going to talk about it because we've got some issues to work out that uh, that other schools don't have to worry about. Uh, and it's 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 a, this is the most critical time in Vanderbilt athletics history. Were you suggesting that that Vanderbilt administrators would uh, would maybe construct a narrative uh, that that was a facade? No, I would never say that. I, I wouldn't either. <laughs> And oh, I tell you what I did used to suggest was that they needed major facilities upgrade. And the alumni portion of that, uh, of the fan base was, was just up in arms, uh, that, 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 no, they were fine and they didn't need anything. Well, you, you, you it don't was not a good any- place to spend money. Yeah. You don't, you don't need anything if, uh, if you've never gone and looked at anybody else's, you know, that that's the thing I used to tell people. When we go on road trips, I always, on Friday or when we arrive at the other school, go look at their facilities, and I'd be like, wait a minute. what? I understand why ours isn't as big as this, but why is it not even touching some of these other schools? And then you, got, you start thinking, well, we would be fine if we were playing Harvard and Cornell, you know, and going to their places. The facilities would be as good or better. Um, but, you know, people, look, facilities do matter. But I do also get that that's not the end all to be all, be all to end all. It's not. The the other things that have to get done, and there again, I go right back to Deermeyer. It's he, it's on him. I'm throwing it right on his shoulders. It's on him because that athletic department can only do so much. They got to yeah. all be pulling that rope the same direction, Chris. And and uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm holding out hope that that's what's happening. Yeah, it's the NIL thing, and I, I need to get a little more on this, but there are some red flags slash yellow flags with them losing him. And I don't mean towards the staff. I just mean towards the situation. Because from what I hear, he was not a problem kid, and, and I don't think he's a guy that walked around with his hand out. Uh, I'm sorry. Could, could, be, could be wrong, but from what I have heard, that's the preliminary preliminary take on that and i don't think he had an issue with the staff either the 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 jadias richard who hit the portal last week their starting corner okay okay got you yeah now i I don't know if he's i don't think he's transferred anywhere else as we do this on wednesday i don't know if that's recoverable or not but that to me was uh that was potentially problematic um and and maybe indicative of of where they are with nil well and one other thing i want to touch on we, we always tend to look at who does leave. We also need to look at who stayed. It was like CJ Taylor and Mahoney right. and Swan. You have to look at that too. That's who you've retained. So, you know, 
if you really got issues, you know, like Sam Hartman left Wake Forest for Notre Dame. So it, it happens. It's going to happen to the, it even happens to programs that are winning for whatever reason. So our problems though, are not just, I know again, it's a Vanderbilt podcast, but this is a pri- This is for all the private schools out there and all the uh, academies, schools like that. There's, they've got to look in the mirror and figure out what to do. Yeah. Okay. Last one. Um, I, I cannot believe this is a question. HD Young 3, would addressing the culture around basketball be enough to stabilize the roster going forward, or is this the new normal? Now, look, what I hear on good authority is that only 5.8% of people have a problem with the way the basketball program <laughs> is run. So let's just throw that out there as fact, and I'll let you take it from here. Uh, well, look. Everyone knows they, that they all seem to. They, they're used, they seem to be also a um, a disproportionate representation of the five percent in the transfer portal. Also, by the way, but I'm sure that means nothing. Look, if if, if you lose seven guys, whether you let's just forget how they left. You've got some that were supposedly told that you're not going to play anymore. Well, we've got three open spots right now that will bring you back if you want to play. I can tell you that. Now, it's not over with yet. We can pull a rabbit out of the hat. I don't know how many rabbits are left out there, but that could still happen. When you lose that much off of a team that was playing as good as anybody in the country in the last two, three weeks of the season, that speaks a volume about your culture. It has to. Say what you want. It does. Now. Also, that NIL and money and stuff like that, and a player having a child that needs money, you know, that factors in. All that factors in. I get that. Uh, But there's a – and I don't know that it's an issue, but there's a graduate school piece to this that I don't fully understand. I've been told one thing, and then I've also been told something else. So I don't know what's the truth there. But Vanderbilt has to solve that. Again, this is – when you have one more year, and I will say this again, I've said it already. Jerry Stackhouse and the Vanderbilt men's basketball team must go to the NCAA tournament next year or we have a new coach. That's that simple. And that's where we're at. We're back into a corner, and you can throw blame however you want to throw it, but uh, we all know that culture is a big part of it. I know this is preposterous to suggest, and, and I can't believe I'm even suggesting it, but is, is there a chance there was maybe a problem with the culture this year? Five point eight percent chance, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's, I mean, it's so small that I don't think it's even worth discussing. But <laughs> just, just trying to cover great. all the bases here, Luke. Well, that's, uh, that's okay. Thorough. Yeah. Well, oh, I'll hold my thoughts. Somebody's okay. Gotta be thorough. Somebody's got to be thorough. I've, I've I've found myself wanting to be a lot less thorough with basketball the last couple of years. In case uh-huh. people yeah, ever man. wonder why that maybe that doesn't get discussed as much on the show. Um, anyway, at some point you get tired of beating your head against the wall. Oh, you know what? I I think I think April next year we could have some very interesting podcasts potentially. Just going to throw that <laughs> out there. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, with that, let's. Well, let's one end thing this. we didn't Any... touch on. Yeah, sure. I was going to say we need to touch on the Alabama series since it starts tomorrow night. Oh, I'm yeah, actually yeah. Going down. I'm actually going down for the first game. 
uh, I think this is important. If if we can get one for sure, we've got to get one for sure. If we can get two at Alabama, we're in great shape heading into the final two weeks. Um, I don't know a lot about Alabama. I've only seen them play twice this year. Uh, I think they're better than advertised. I think yes. the times are really good. Uh, it's graduation weekend, so there'll be great, great crowds, I assume. Um, but yeah, I'm going down to see it live Thursday night. Not going to be able to stay the whole weekend, but, uh, uh, I'm excited about the, they can really go ahead and seal their fate a little bit if they could win two or somehow sweep that series. I think the two most similar teams in the league to Vanderbilt are the one Vanderbilt just played and the one it's playing this weekend. Okay. That's fair. Although I think that Vanderbilt's starting pitching now is Alabama had a chance to really have good pitching, but they just cannot stay healthy. Yeah, I don't know their health situation. Is it starters or bullpen guys that's injured? It's mostly starters. Gotcha. And I can't, I can't. They've had so many injuries of guys coming and going. That I can't even keep up with who's who anymore. Oh wow! Yeah. It's been bad. I know it's hit Arkansas hard. It's hit Arkansas big time. Now, you know what's interesting is I think, and to me from the outside, it seems unfair, but the thing that I've learned in sports journalism is that if you're not close to a situation, a lot of times you have no idea what you're talking about. I know that's that's a crazy <laughs> take, but that that fan base and even a person or two I've talked to in the media down there are not really high on that situation. And from from afar to me – it looks okay. I think that's a hard place to win at baseball for a number of reasons. And again, I think that they've assembled a lot of pitching talent. They just can't keep it healthy. But the take from the ground there is a little different than the one I gave you. Right. All right, I guess we're done. We're out of here. Well, we will see what we can get together. And we, you know, here's the other thing. We might even wait to have some of the discussion till. Potentially after, although that's a long time. If we're going to do a roundtable, because I think a lot of the NIL issues people have questions about now and status stuff. So we may try to get together sort of a roundtable podcast on NIL and facilities and again have representation across different sports. Or we, you know, and it probably is going to depend on when we can pull that off. But to me, there's a lot of baseball to cover right now. I don't know how we balance all that. Maybe we do an extra episode or whatever, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, whatever works out, that'd be fine. We know at some point we're going to do it. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. Thank you, Chris. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.